Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Uh, over these next few weeks, over these, we're going to be focusing just uh, simply on worship. We're going to be focusing on worship. Um, and more specifically, what it means for us to come back to the heart of worship. There is a lot of things in this life that can rob our worship. Would you agree? Everywhere you look, there is something that robs your worship. Now, you, you say, well, what, what, what does that actually mean? It's not like I'm, I'm standing out on a street corner and worshiping and singing to, uh, still in my head, Chick-fil-A. Apparently, I want Chick-fil-A. I don't know. I, that's really weird. Okay. Anyway, so it's not that we do that. What worship simply means is it shows what has the highest priority in your life. You see, there are things, both good and bad, that can rob worship that's actually meant to be for God. And, and, and without knowing it, we can very easily get into a pattern then of everything else taking our time, our attention, our focus, our admiration, our worry, our frustration, all of these things, it can rob that from really where all of that is supposed to be focused. Does that mean in worship we have frustration and all of that? Well, yes, because God wants you to bring those things to him. If you're frustrated and hurting and going through pain, his thought is not for you to figure it out and then come to him. He wants your worship to include the full range of emotion that you've been created with. So when you approach God, you don't have to be perfect, have it all figured out, and have a smile plastered on your face. You could be having the absolute worst day in the world, and you could come and bring him worship. Why? Because it signifies to God that even though I'm going through what I'm going through right now, my heart is yours. And so I have pain. I have suffering, I have questions, I have all of this stuff, but I'm bringing it to you and I want to bring it as worship to you because it's all yours anyway and my life is yours. God invites us into this place of coming to him regardless of where we find ourselves in in life. You see, the, the truth of it is this. We all worship something. We all worship something or someone. We just do. We were beings that were created inherently to worship. So the question becomes, where is our worship? Or where is the heart of our worship? And that's what we're going to discover over these next few weeks, and we're going to process this through together. Today, the, the, the point that I want to process through is that worship is connected to our perspective of God. Worship is connected with our perspective of God. Meaning this, if we view God a certain way, it will dictate the kind of worship that we give him. And if our worship is limited simply on the one facet of the way that we see God, we miss everything else. These two things are connected. Now our view of God can be shaped and formed from a bunch of different things that take place in life. It can be shaped by our experiences. 
by the things that we read, by our conversation, by the videos we watch. All of these things can shape the image that we have of God. But I'm here to tell you something, that if we're, if we're not careful, all of those other things can create an image of God that is false because we've left out the word of God. For us, we have to allow our perspective of God to be shaped by the word of God. Not by what we experience, not by what we read on the internet, not by conversations that we have with people, not by videos that we watch on YouTube. It has to be by the word of God, okay? Now, if our perspective of God is based and anchored in who, he, in who the Bible says that he is, he absolutely will use experiences, reading, conversations, videos, all of these things to confirm what is already grounded in his word. But if we don't have the word grounding us in who God is, we're gonna be all over the place real quick. And it will dictate and determine our worship. Today, what I want to do is I want to lay a groundwork, and I want to give you four positions that give us an incomplete perspective of who God is, okay? Now, now I say it this way, because, and here's my disclaimer. I'm going to use some wording today um, that's, that's partly from study and partly from some reading I've done. Um, I'm going to use some, some, some wording that you're going to hear it and go, well, that's not wrong. And, and you're right, okay? But the wording I'm going to use here today is a metaphor and an illustration of us positionally how we refer to God, okay? So use it as that. Just use it as imagery, right? I'm not, I'm not making statements that are like, you're like, excuse me, we have to leave. Grab the kids now. I'm just using it as a picture to give us an understanding of this, okay? Now, the other thing is I'll say this, is as I go through, you might recognize some things in your life about maybe how you've seen God that has been incomplete or inaccurate. And what I would encourage you to do is this. Take a deep breath and relax. Guess what? We are all on a journey with God. And we are all learning more and more every single day about who he is and who he isn't and who we are and about this relationship that we have with him. So don't stress out and please do not let condemnation sneak into your heart today, okay? Is that a deal? Okay, all right. And I'm gonna do this in a hopefully encouraging way that will really just build you up. The first of these positions that we can take is a life under God. Okay, now, again, I'm not talking about, you know, one nation under God and living in the authority of God. I'm not talking about that, okay? When I say life under God, this is, this is what I mean. I'm going to give a definition to it. Life under God sees the world as governed by the will of God, listen to this, who's prone to unaccountable changes in mood and behavior. In other words... A strict position like this says that God is a volatile God and that if I just live by the righteous expectations he has, he'll bless me, he'll answer my prayers, or at the very least, he won't pour down the judgment that he has for me. I just, I just, need, to, I just need to appease God. I just need to do all the right things so that God with the big hammer up in heaven doesn't come down and wallop me with everything I deserve right? It's a fear-based approach to God. It's an approach to God that says, the default is God is angry at me. The default is I'm not loved. 
The default is he has bad for me and not good. But, but, but here's the thing. None of that is biblical. As I read scripture, I don't see. I, I do see an angry God. And you know what I see God angry at? Sin. But I see God also full of grace and compassion and goodness and care for his people and love for his people. This is the God that I see in the Bible. And so what happens is if I start to step into really what this is, is a performance way of living, I start to say, well, if I do the right things, God's going to be okay with me. And if I do the wrong things, I'm going to get it. This approach is actually a really, really potent mix of superstition and biblical morality mixed together. I just, I just have, to, I have to seek God and, and hopefully through the rituals and the morality and this performance-based living, then he'll just be okay with me. I just have to, I have to work a little harder to be a little bit better and hopefully he just won't smite me. It's an unhealthy fear of God. It's a way of viewing God that is actually inaccurate. Now, if this is our approach to God and this is how we see God, then this is what worship becomes. Worship becomes something that we do to appease God. It robs the beautiful relationship that we have with God and simply says, okay, I'm gonna get to, I'm gonna get to church and I'm gonna sing the songs and I'm gonna lift my hands. I'm gonna do the thing. God, don't hurt me. Boy, that sounds really like a sad place to live, doesn't it? Worship becomes tainted because it's not what it was designed to do. Now, this kind of living, this kind of fear-based living with God was prominent all the way through biblical history because they had gods. (laughs) And many of the relationship with their gods was all about appeasement. Do these rituals, do these things to get this God to bless you. And don't do these things or this God will smite you, right? And so that is the biblical world that they lived. Even the disciples struggled with this. In John 9, Jesus and the disciples were walking along. And they saw and they passed by a man who had been blind since birth. And the disciples said this in John 9, in verse 1, it says this. That they passed by and they said, Rabbi, who sinned? Who, who done it? Whose fault is this? Is it this man or is his parents that he was born blind? Who messed up? Who got, who got the hammer? But Jesus immediately refutes this notion with his response. In the, in the next verse, in verse three, it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Like you guys are missing the whole thing. It, it, it wasn't a judgment that was cast down because of sin. You guys are missing the whole thing, right? But what does he say? This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Okay, for you, my pastoral heart for you here. This verse is true for you today. What is going on in your life is not because there is a judgmental God casting judgment on your life for the things that you've done. What is going on in your life is because he wants his work to be displayed in you. Remember this. 
Over 2,000 years ago, there was a man who happened to be God, who grew, died on a cross, and rose, rose again. And when he died, all wrath of God, all judgment of God, all of the anger went on his son. The anger that you and I deserve, the wrath and the judgment that you and I deserve, it went on his son. Guys, think about this for a second. You do not live under a God who is full of judgment and condemnation and wrath on you because all that has been taken care of already. Jesus took care of that. All wrath, all judgment. The worst thing that you could possibly think and the worst thing that you could possibly do that would ever discount yourself from being loved, all of that was taken on Jesus. My word to you, my encouragement and my pastoral heart for you today is don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. In the middle of everything you're facing, in the middle of walking through everything that's taking place in your life right now, know this, that God is working on your behalf and is in the middle of all circumstances. He's in the middle of what you're facing right now. He's not far off going, why did you just mess up again? The question becomes, you know, why do bad things happen? Well, we live in a world that's literally folding in on itself under the curse of sin. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) But that's what's happening. And we know that this world, the prince of this earth is Satan who roams around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. Why do bad things happen? Because there's an enemy. And because he's been given authority of this thing that we live in right now. But he doesn't win. In fact, he's already lost. So why do bad things happen? We live in a fallen world. It's not the judgment of God. We live in a fallen world. The second perspective, you guys doing okay? Is anybody condemned yet? Okay, good, okay. All right, next one, here we go. Life over God, life over God. Again, think positionally here, right? Okay, this is what life over God is. You can put this up. Life over God places immutable natural laws at the center and ultimately gives them authority over God. Divine will is replaced with natural law. In this view, this is what this this looks like. In this view, the universe is a machine and we have the responsibility to understand how the machine works and leverage the principles in order to control it. It's cause and effects base. A plus B equals C. If I do this and I do this, then this happens, okay? But now here's where the concern comes in is that That form of thinking, we can also, if we're not careful, apply to God. If I do this and I do this, then he will do this. He lays these things out in scripture. And yes, he gives us ways to live and he gives us ways that we are supposed to live. But we don't do them in a way to control the outcome of God. We do them as a form of response to everything that he's done first. Now, deism 
There's, there's atheism is the, the, the belief that there is no God. Right? It's the belief that there's no belief, right? There is no God, there, there is no creator, none of that, right? But deism is a little bit different. Deism says this, it affirms that God exists and created the universe, but believes that he's now distant and relatively uninvolved in the matters of ordinary life. In other words, he got the whole thing started and then he stood off and said, now let all the inimitable laws just take care of everything down there. That sounds depressing. Doesn't that sound discouraging? If we have a God that just created everything and stood back and said, let the laws take care of it. Wow, wow that's, that's discouraging. But this is this belief system. See, but here's the deal. Here's the deal is in this kind of a life, and if this is in any small way, shape, or form, our approach to God, many times what happens is in life, when things happen that we don't understand and that we have a hard time with and that we wrestle with, we seek to control things. Things are spinning out of control and it's not going the way that I think. I, I, just, I, just, I just need to control them. If, if, if I have my life in control, everything will be okay, right? This is what this perspective is. But I wanna tell you today that God is not looking for you to control everything. He's looking at your heart and the faithfulness of your heart. We will not ever be in control of everything that takes place in the world, if you haven't noticed yet. Newsflash. And there sometimes is not an A plus B equals C. There just isn't. But God's not looking for that. He's looking at the faithfulness of your heart. He's looking to say in the middle of unanswered questions, in the middle of things that don't always make sense, will you continue to be faithful to me? To trust his leading. To trust his sovereignty. But God, I just know if it was this way, if it was this way, but what if it's not? Will your heart still remain faithful to him? This is what he's looking at. Now, here's the thing about trying to gain control. It can bring a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety. Anybody ever tried to control something before and when it didn't happen, boy, you're left with a ton of anxiety right? God doesn't desire this for you. He does not desire his people to be anxious or worry or fearful. He's not desiring that for you. That is not of God. Fear, anxiety, worry is not of God. He has something so much better for you. He says this in Luke 12, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even the little thing, why worry about the rest? Why worry about the rest? In this life over God perspective, our worship can become, can become just one of the right things that we do and that we're supposed to do in order to have control. It's just one of the right things that I'm supposed to do. And if I do it, then my life will have control. Well, as I read Psalms and I read about David, David worshiped when nothing was in control. His life, 
He was being hunted down. His son was trying to rob the throne from him. I mean, for crying out loud, this guy had a lot of stuff that was not going according to his plan. I don't think David planned any of that to happen. But he continued to worship in spite of that. Even though everything was out of control and messed up, he continued to worship. The next one, got to keep going, got to keep going. Life from God. Again, this statement seems like a good statement because everything does come from God. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Everything we have does come from God. Everything he provides, everything that we need, he provides every blessing that we have in our life. Everything comes from God. But this position that we're talking about right now, life from God assumes, this, is, this one might sting a little bit, so just no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. This one assumes that the world orbits around us and our needs and our desires. Did that sting a little bit? Sorry. Didn't mean for it to sting, but I mean, if it did, it did. <laughs> it assumes that life is all about us and we're at the center of the universe. And while this seems good, really, life from God, this, this principle right here, is nothing more than just consumerism with a Jesus tag slapped on the bumper. Now, nobody raise your hand because just nobody raise your hand. But as you evaluate your life, would any of you probably say, you know what, there are times when, man, I think the world's kind of revolved around me a little bit. I think there are times when we all face this. Here's the thing, is in this kind of a perspective where we think that God is just there to meet our needs and our desires and our wants and our expectations, worship becomes focused on, now listen, this is really, really important. It becomes focused on and contingent on what he does for us rather than who he is. I will worship if. I will bring him praise if. But it removes who he is. Now, now again, I'm talking in extreme terms here, okay? But I'm trying to paint a picture to lead us to where we're going to end up at, okay? Now, here's the thing about consumerism. Hear me on this. Whether it's consumerism in our approach to God or it's just consumerism, consumerism in life. At the root of it, consumerism is something that tries to distract us and numb us from fear and pain. If I just go buy the car, I won't have pain. If I go get a boat, I won't have pain. If God just does this, my pain will be gone. It's, it's this idea that that will meet the needs, but it doesn't actually meet the needs. It just numbs. Distraction and deliverance aren't the same. Life from God may numb our fears and pains, but it doesn't remove them. It doesn't remove them. C.S. Lewis says this. I think this is so powerful. God whispers to us in our pleasures he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. As Christians, we need to make sure that we have a right theology when it comes to suffering. We, we, we don't talk about this enough. We, we think that following Jesus is just roses and butterflies. It's not. 
We have to understand that in this life, Jesus said this, you will have suffering, but take heart because I've overcome the world. See, when we signed up for this, we signed up knowing it was going to be hard. We signed up knowing that sometimes it's going to be mountaintop experiences where we see the fullness and feel the fullness of God's presence and his blessing and his pouring out on our life. And it's just incredible. And there's other times when we don't. And what will we do then? Now, this is really easy for me to just stand up here and say this. It's another entirely different thing to actually live it. And I get that. I get that. Walking through pain, walking through fear, walking through suffering is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. It's actually, it's actually very hard. It can get you to question your faith. It can get you to actually question, is God good? Is God actually still on my team? Like it can cause us to do these things. But this is where worship is powerful because worship can get us back to saying, even in the middle of all of this, I'm gonna worship. Despite my situation, there's still my God. James is one of the clearest passages on on suffering in the Bible, and it says this, consider it great joy. (laughs) James was on something. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. It does not say if ever. It doesn't say that. It says whenever. The Greek uh, definition of the word whenever is when. So when, that was a joke. Oh my goodness. Sorry, I gotta work on my lead in. Okay, all right, all right. When you experience various trials, because you, whenever you experience various trials, because, oh, uh, mm -hmm, yep, mm -hmm. consider it great joy. Okay, anyway. My reading is off, you know, homeschool. Um, (laughs) Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here's the equation. If we want endurance, our faith has to be tested. If our faith is not tested, we cannot have endurance. Does that mean that I want God to test my faith? Well, if we want to grow in endurance and following him, it's something that we shouldn't just want in our lives, but we should accept it willingly, knowing that it's building to something. The second part of that says this, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I have news for you today that God desires you that you would not be numb from pain and numb from fear. He would desire for you to be healthy. He doesn't want to just give you things that will numb your life. He wants to help you to process through and allow some testing to come through so there can be health in you. He is much more cared about your health than your comfort. He's much more cared about whether you go through a little bit of suffering so that it ultimately leads to a fulfillment and an endurance and ultimately a joy in who he is and what he's done in your life. Now, here's here's what I want to tell you right now is if you don't see God doing what you think that he should do in this season, hear me. 
It's because he's up to something else. If you've prayed and you've asked God to do something on behalf of you and you've asked him to come and you've asked him to move over and over and over again and the answer to that has not looked like what you have wanted, he's doing something different. He's not backed off and not moving. He's always moving. He's always working. He's always moving on the behalf of his people. It's just something different. Remember, remember, this has come so that God's work might be displayed in you. Wherever you're at today, God's work wants to be displayed in you. You guys okay? No condemnation? Okay, good. Next one. Life for God. Life for God. Sounds pretty good. I just serve him. (laughs) I use my life to, to glorify him. Absolutely we do. But this is what, on the extreme side of it, it means. Life for God sees a divine mission at the core of all things and places the mission ahead of God himself. We are a church on mission as long as that mission does not supersede who he is. This is really important because... because In the United States today, the movement or the general consensus, the general culture of the population is we are very movement-oriented. We are mission-oriented. Once we find out what our favorite mission is and our favorite uh, philanthropist and our our favorite uh, humanitarian organization, whatever, we jump on that thing. We are all about moving things forward on a mission. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except that if we want the world to look at us as believers and see something different, they should look at us and say, you know what defines their life is God and not the mission and the things that they do. That's what I want my life to be defined as. God in me. Not that I went out and did a bunch of things. Now, when God's in me, I will go do a bunch of things. But it's the the cart before the horse. Does that make sense? We need to have the order of things right here so that we don't just go out and power through and do a bunch of stuff. Think about Paul. Um, In the book with, Sky Jethany writes this, and I thought this was so descriptive of Paul. He says this, although God's mission dominated Paul's life, it did not define it. think, Think about this. Think about this. We are supposed to be about the mission of God, the co mission, which actually means we're actually co-missioning with God. It's not us just overdoing it. We're actually partnering with him, which is actually a way better way to go than me just going, I'm going to save the world. No, you're not. You're Jason. You know, it's way better to do it with him. And what is this mission? Go into all the world to preach the gospel, to baptize, to make disciples. Like this is the mission that we are all about, but that does not define who we are. There was a cross over 2000 years ago who defines who we are. It defines your life. It defines your future. It is not the things you do. It is all the things that he has done. Paul writes this in Philippians, so perfectly puts it up. Philippians 3 says this, more than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having righteousness of my own from the law, 
but through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul even said, I'm defined by Christ. He was, he was one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. More people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus than most people. But he was defined as a son of the king, saved by grace through faith. That's what did it. In this kind of a mentality of the life from God, and then I'm going to end where the good place, the good place. But in this kind of a mentality, worship can just be focused so much on the mission and miss God altogether. There's nothing wrong with the mission. I think about Mary and Martha in Luke 10. You know the story. Mary and Martha, two sisters. Mary came and sat at the foot of Jesus as he taught. And Martha went in the kitchen and she was busy. Was Martha's issue the fact that she was in the kitchen and serving? No. No. Somebody had to make the food. The fact was she was an incredible hostess. The issue became the positioning and the order of things. We have to get relationship with God first before we can go do anything for him. And this is where we land. Number five, life with God. Life with God. This is what we're all about. This is what we all want our lives to be. Is what it means to live with God. This is what this means, the definition. Life with God is built on a relationship with God that is fostered through worship. This is bringing it full circle. This is why worship is so key to our relationship with God. Because otherwise, we miss the with component. And, and we get out on, on doing all kinds of other things, right? But worship is what brings life to our relationship with God. It is actually a lie to believe that we can have a relationship with God without prayer and worship. It's actually a lie. Because, because it's impossible for us as created beings created in the image of God for worship to have a relationship with him without those things. We can have lots of knowledge of God, but a relationship with God comes through prayer and worship. I thought about it this way. I was, I was actually studying early one morning this week and just processing through, and this popped into my head, and I was like, wow, that's actually kind of a cool illustration. What worship does is it puts flesh and muscles on the bones of the knowledge of God. Think about it this way. If you read your Bible front to back, cover to cover, and get all and ingest all of the information of God, you have an incredible foundation, but there's no movement to your life. It's dead. Yeah. It's just information, which is pointless unless there's muscle, unless there's flesh, unless there's blood vessels that actually give that life. That is what worship does in your life. Yeah. Worship brings a life to this relationship that we have. Now, here's the thing that I just have to tell you. There's no secret bullet to our relationship with God. Meaning, there's not one, one and done and I just now have a relationship with God. Like any relationship, it's only as strong as the time we invest. 
Your relationship with God will only ever be as good as the time you invest. So does that mean if I just spend five minutes every morning just reading the verse of the day that I'm not gonna grow in my relationship? You will have a level of relationship. But if you want a deeper level of relationship, you have to invest more time. You have to pour more time into this. This is our goal. And, and, and we started here today. We started with this idea of stepping into a deeper place in worship. And I didn't just do that because we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. But specifically, this is something that God wants to lead us into. Because worship is something that causes us to have a relationship with God. And can I tell you something? The God of the universe wants relationship with you. He does. Make no mistake. He's not far off. He's not with a hammer. He's not just some law that's in function. He's a real and living being that created you and created you for relationship and created you with purpose and sent his son to die and to take all the wrath so that all that's taken care of and all of that can be taken over on Jesus so you can get back to having a relationship with him. Revelation 3 says this. This is so cool. And then this is where we're going to wrap it up. Revelation says this. This is God speaking to us. See, I stand at the door and knock. The door of your heart, the door of your life. I want to say this over you today, that what God is speaking over you is he's saying, listen, I am at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Eating in the biblical times was one of the most intimate things that people could do together, was to share a meal together. The, the, the depth of relationship was built around this meal. So what is God saying? He's saying, listen, I'm knocking on the door of your heart, and if you let me in, we'll have a deep relationship. And it won't be a relationship that's based on whether you do the right things or don't do the right things. It'll simply because, be because I love you and I want you to just love me and I want to be in this relationship that is mutual that we can build each other up. Okay? This is, this is what he's doing. James 3, 2 says this about Abraham, which I, thought, I think this is just so cool. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then what does it say? He was called God's friend. How many of you would like that to be said over your life? I am God's friend. There's a bunch of stuff that can steal our worship. But we have an invitation to come to a deeper place that builds our relationship through worship. Back to the roots and the reason for why we worship.